The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. In a world where nothing is certain can help you to find the right way. follow today. This way will take you to the best genre from around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. We want to welcome you to our podcast today, but this is really a theological formula that we are going to be revealing today that is important for self-proclaimed Christ follower types or truly indwelt believers, those who have the Holy Spirit living inside them. They need to know how to explain how someone receives Jesus Christ into their life. 1962, there was a survey done throughout the entire church world. 18 denominations were a part of it. There were not as many denominations back then as we have today. In fact, Jane, you were just telling me last week uh, denominations we had registered this year. 18,000, something like that. So we have really expanded our denominational outreach. So we have to ask the question, how in the world does a denomination take place? It's very easy. Hating one another. So you start out in this fellowship and you're all excited and all of a sudden there's some people that are attending. Maybe it, maybe it has expanded from a home church to a mega church. I don't know. But here's what happens. That pastor could be an absolute truth type of teacher. But here's what happens is that as those absolute truths start hitting a cultural group of people that are being trained by other sources and resources not to be absolute anymore, right? That's the biggest complaint of our culture today. Now, once that starts to happen, you have this encounter with absolute truth which is absolute Jesus. He is only described by his Father, and if we don't adopt those descriptions, we're in trouble. Can't go past go or collect our 200 bucks. And it collides with a culture sitting in the room. Whether it's the leadership of the church or whether it is the followers, doesn't make any difference. There's a collide. So what has happened in the minds of the people, and this is a standardized methodology of thinking for a depraved mind. So what happens is when that collide occurs, this person is given the choice to be corrected by the absolute truth 
or they resist it. And once they resist it, they have to come up with their own truth, which is usually an interpretation of what the leader is communicating. And to that we say, as, as worldview teachers, who made you God? How do you and your, your finite little vapor, because that's what God called us, we're just a vapor. Einstein said shortly before he died to students, I was sitting in the room when, when my provost was re-quoting Einstein shortly before he died. He said to his students, the smartest and most intelligent person you can think of is like a drop of water. And he takes his one drop fall out of the cup into the trash can holds the trash can up and said, that most intelligent person that ever lived on this earth is nothing and will be evaporated before he or she can make an impact. The smarter he got, the wiser he got. And he started to realize that he wasn't as smart as he originally thought. And he was lesser than the magnitude of whatever is out there. He just didn't get the rest of the story. So after this collide happens, there is separation. Then gossip starts occurring amongst the non-absolute people. Pretty soon, maybe even some of those leaders that were supervising the church are non-absolute leaders. And they start talking amongst themselves and developing plans and schemes to divide the church. And all of a sudden, they meet privately aside from the church leadership. They form a whole new methodology of churchism and come against the other side of the church leadership and say, we need to agree to part, to separate, hopefully without too much animosity. And then the new denomination is formed. That's how it was done and is done to this very day. It is always based in the understanding of what absolute truth is. You cannot look at absolute truth as something coming out of the teacher's mouth. You have to keep the definitions intact. Jesus said, I am the the truth and the life. You see, it's a package formula. He's saying, I am the way. He's saying, I am the methodology. I'm the plan. When he says, I am truth, he's, he's saying truth is a person. It, it's me. And you'll have to receive me in order to have truth. And then saying, I am life. He is eternal life. There isn't no dropping into a perspective of life. There is no dropping into your view of life. You and I are ignorant. And our minds are depraved, Paul said. He even went on to say, and there's nothing good in us. Nothing. You think God sends good people to hell? There has to be a conversion. There has to be 
walking on this way and then to see the person of truth and to repent and receive that life into our lives and then be dropped into eternal life. It's a formula. So when we read 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, now listen to this very carefully. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Now before the formula, we weren't even willing to walk on the way. We were in death. But all of a sudden, if you hear something said that makes you very curious and you're going, I'm not going to fight absolute truth. I want to I get to know this. You just entered the way. You just began to walk toward truth. Doesn't mean you have it yet. You can go get four or five degrees on it. I learned that after trying to get my second doctorate degree. It's ridiculous. You cannot obtain the knowledge of the holy through books. It's only through life. He goes on and says, because we love the brethren, he's connecting the two together of what is the primary evidence of knowing that you're either in death or that you're in life. The evidence shows up in, I'm going to love my pastor even though I don't agree with him. I'm not going to separate and run and cause division and strife and envy and form a new religion. You are facing something that you're not quite sure what your pastor is saying and you're willing to work through it. Now, if you do happen to bump into heresies and things that your pastor is asking you to do and believe that are not of the Word of God, run quickly. But don't take people with you. Because if you mix gossip into your actions of leaving that leadership, you are under a different kind of violation, considered divisive. That is a greater offense than the other. That's how it works. He goes on and says, He who does not love abides in death. Now he's separating it out. That's why I'm saying, before the formula kicks in, and there is no evidence of fruit of God's love. God is love. We've been hammering on that for half a year. God is love. He is the definition of love. Love is a person. So now we have God the Father who is a person, right? He's not a figment of our imagination as the post-truth people are trying to communicate to the world. Just as I, I illustrated for you of a certain online teacher, female teacher, who is a, has been attacking Jennifer Kennedy Dean because Jennifer Kennedy Dean believes that when you're actually praying... Jesus is present. Well, one, they're not even connecting to what it is she says is the reason for that is because if you are truly an indwell believer, he's living inside of you. So when you talk, you're actually talking to someone, the person of truth. How does that happen? Abides in death. How can I expect life to come out of someone who's abiding in death? 
So there's no reason to debate them. There's no reason to get upset at them. It's just a fact. But they always attack people of absolute truth. truth. That's where divisions come from. Denominations come from. Religions come from. And the list goes on from there. He also says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's just a flat out insult. There's no one sitting here today that has not hated someone. In fact, statistics are being revealed to us in 2019 that it is self-proclaimed Christians that dominate the social media making hate comments. Did you hear what I just said? It is actually the self-proclaimed Christians that are carrying the lion's share of making distasteful, hateful, betrayal statements on the internet. And it's usually about other Christians. We are the worst example to the entire world. It's no wonder the world falls into the percentage of reduction of salvation since 1962. The percentage of deduction of salvations is 600%. since 1962. If you're even listening right now, no matter what country you're in, no matter what church you're podcasting this to, no matter if you're driving down the freeway, I ask you this question. When is the last time you led someone to Jesus Christ for the indwelling life of Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside you. When is the last time you did this? Second question I ask you. My text number is 602-292-2982 and I want you to text me the answers. I really do appreciate your texting. And as most of you know, I answer all those texts personally. So my second question is, how many listeners actually know how to lead someone to Christ? Not just toss a verse at them and say, believe and you shall be saved. Number one, that's just one verse. Number two, I'm going to explain to you how this transitional theology took place. This is a crisis the world is facing. Why is it that self-proclaimed Christians no longer lead people to the indwelling life of Christ. It's a problem. John is happening to put this in such a blunt way that it falls under the category of one of the least preached verses in the New Testament. Who wants to be called a murderer just because you don't like your teacher or your mother? or your father, or your brother, or your sister? Who wants to be called a murderer? For God to associate hate with murder, I say go look on the internet and see what is happening globally through social media and hate. To see that the government itself is so concerned about hate. And the younger generation is blaming the politicians for this hatred. And it is not where it's coming from. It's coming from you. If you're into that whole 
social media thing of thumbs up, thumbs down, I hate this, that person is a maniac, this, and all this stuff. It's just hate everywhere. The way you shut the mouth of an absolute teacher is no different than what they did to 11 of the 12 disciples. They shut them up. This is no different, Stephen, than what they did to your Savior, your husband, your beloved, Jesus Christ. They shut him up. Hatred demands murder. Why are people running into school and mowing down people and not even giving it a second thought of what they did? We've seen it in our own community. There's more coming tomorrow and much more the day after. Why? Because of what John is communicating to us. And finally he says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. And the actual quote is, does not have eternal life abiding in him. Meaning, Christ's life. Three and a half years, Jesus presented a formula. That was his ministry. How many years did the Father choose for Jesus to stay out of ministry? 30 years old. Now in Hebrew, and those of us who love Hebrew know that 30 is prophetic. It takes time to build a wise leader. So when you got a 13, 14 year old jumping on the internet, acting like they're God and proclaiming things that they have absolutely no clue what they're talking about, and are gaining fast, massive followers, can you see what's going to end up happening after a generation? I can, because I track this stuff. Meanwhile, something happened. When this this teeter-totter started to tip toward the youngest generation, which researchers call them Gen Z or Generation Z or whatever you want to call them, something happened to the wise old men. Does anyone know what that is? Deborah, they are what? Because they euthanize them. The laws that are in legislation right now, today, They're voting on these things this next month is to have open euthanasia to the elderly. Euthanasia is murder. (coughs) It is making a decision to pull the plug on grandpa. They've been using euthanasia with abortion for a long time. New York passing late-term abortions. Connecticut passing laws on killing babies after they're born. Has to be within the first six months. And they don't connect that to murder. Now, very conservative pro-life people consider taking anything after conception murder. Where you're in the bracket of murder, I don't really care, (coughs) honestly. Because it's already in the elderly. We've been doing it inside nursing homes for a very long time by just increasing the doses of morphine. Number one, killing drug in the world. It's euthanasia. 
We're getting rid of the old people that have the wisdom. And it's moving this way. Where the dominant force is the younger generation. And somehow they sit there listening to this podcast, other podcasts, television shows, whatever. And they think they know better than the 89-year-old guy that preached for 72 years sitting in a retirement home thinking he's absolutely nothing and no one cares about what he thinks. You don't believe me? I will tell you today, in 10 years, these words will ring true in your ears. And if you have any kind of conscience left, you'll go, oh my God, what have we done? You can talk about abortion to the average young person today, and they don't even react. Their facial expressions don't even change. And it's the number one, it was declared January 2019, by the United Nations itself, liberal United Nations, that abortion was the number one cause of death worldwide. And people don't even twinge. Murder is a culturally acceptable picket sign war. Where do you stand? Are you pre, mid, post, mid, mid, mid? Are you after birth? Are you elderly? When do we stop murdering? We don't. This is John's point. He, he isn't addressing the issue of murder. He's addressing the issue of do you have eternal life? He's just saying to people, I, I want you to, to get this. The two don't go together. So Jesus has to wait till he's 30 years of age before the Father releases him to ministry. Correct? Before he came out with his ministerial certification degree, <laughs> which was coming out of the water, right? That's where he got his degree, his anointing, his commission, his water. That's right out of Genesis. And as he's coming out of the water, it's still not over. See, Jesus already knew the formula by his father, so he comes out of the water and he stands there and waits. What's he waiting for? The Holy Spirit to fall upon him and indwell him. He couldn't open his mouth to preach until he had the Holy Spirit. And now there's this movement in our culture today where people are running out as followers of Jesus preaching, teaching, casting demons out, doing all this crazy stuff. Then they die and they're standing before Jesus and and Jesus says, what? I do not know you. They said, well, we preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. And Jesus says, be gone from me for I know you not. No is the most intimate term of salvation. The Old Testament, to know, meant what? The sexual encounter of a husband and his wife. It's the most intimate description of oneness. Are you one with the tree of death? 
or are you one with the tree of life? That is the question. So now he's in ministry. He has the anointing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The formula is still not over. Now Jesus had to go out and explain that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man can come unto the Father. It's all about the Father, the old guy. The 89-year-old guy that everyone's trying to murder. Okay? So this is how Satan thinks. You might not, but he does. The only way to shut these guys up is to kill them. So it's not difficult deduction and theology of what Satan is attempting to do. So now he's moving through ministry, creating this way. The thing that has to happen first is to believe. I mean, you see this guy walking, he's got, you know, 20, 30 people following him. He's heading over to standing under this beautiful tree. And he just starts talking about this wild and crazy stuff that the lawmakers and the law keepers were freaking out because he's talking about some kind of life that was totally foreign to them. And guess what happens, folks? Absolute truth who is a person. He's actually saying, I am the son of God. He's actually saying crazy stuff. But what he was saying is, he's already demonstrating he's the way. And now he's saying, I am he, the truth. And getting closer and closer, it took three and a half years. And all of a sudden, those theological Pharisees decided, this man must die. We got to shut him up. Boom, there was a collide. They started shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't government leaders that crucified him. It was the theological leaders of the world of the day that crucified him. And they did not accomplish their mission in shutting him up because we got people like me and you who are compulsed to tell this story forever. You will not shut us up. No true indwelt believer can shut their mouth about Jesus Christ. And if there are people that shut their mouths about Jesus Christ, you fall under the category of what Paul says, being ashamed of the gospel. And is the truth in you? That's always the question they ask. Are you abiding in life? If you're embarrassed by opening your mouth, it either means you're ignorant on how to share Christ with others, or that's happening. I can tell you what the results are if you want to know. 602. 292. 2982. It's not good news. Yeah, but I preached in his name. I cast out demons in his name. I led a mega church in his name. I went... So, I'm not impressed. All things happen in small bodies, not large bodies. Jesus knew that. 
We have it all backwards. And I think he is desirous of getting things in the right formula again. So now the believing starts. More and more people are kind of attracted to this guy standing in the tree saying these radical things they've never heard before. Now thinker, think with me on this. You think just because you didn't have the thought of what the teacher is saying that that makes you be able to judge this man's words? Well, I've never heard that before. Isn't that the point of preaching? Why teach you something you already know? Because it'll make you more ignorant of doing it. Because you're calloused. The Spirit of God is into revelatory, inspiring what is already said by the Father in the beginning in such a fresh way that people go, I haven't really thought that. Excellent! That would be why you teach or preach. This is a big deal. So Jesus does his little teaching. Because there's a bunch of people now standing around under the tree believing. Right? So he moves on to the next tree in the next town. And as he's moving on to the next tree in the next town... He turns around and guess what's happening? Following. A new step of this transition is enacted. Now there's 80 people following him. Because they're fascinated by what he says. Doesn't mean they have it. Now, in John 14, 18, we did a whole special message on the fact that we're no longer orphans, right? And in that, that verse, he actually says, for I will not leave you as orphans, I, I will come to you. He's keeping his promise. Every single person that was walking the face of the earth, he desired to have them first believe. I'm going to find out what this guy's saying under the tree. And then to follow. I'm going to the next town with him. I'm going to click the like button. And then they listen to the next message. And they they begin to hear, he doesn't want me attached to the law. The law is actually killing me. The law is, you see, he was addressing a modern problem in theology of the day. And they start to get it. Oh, but here came the twist. You know, John 3, 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was standing right there when he said that, wasn't he? And Nicodemus was a janitor, right? No. What was Nicodemus? He was renowned from the Greek. It means wealth, influential, listened to. He was like the preacher of the day for the law. And he says to Jesus, asks him a question actually, which was, How can a man go back into his mother's womb? 
and become. Become born again. Exactly. When we take that moment of crisis, of belief, when absolute truth encounters, it actually touches now, which either separation will occur or the experience. When they encounter that contact point, a depraved mind would go to natural analysis. And that's why it doesn't work in schools very much anymore. They go to natural analysis. They have to approve the natural issues related to how could Jesus walk through walls. That's another big discussion in Worldview Institutes. How could he get from one side of the lake to the other in a split second? How could, how could, how could? Is it go back to science? Okay? That's all Nicodemus was doing. It's going back to science, saying, excuse me here. How in the world can someone crawl back up in their mother's womb and say, okay, mommy, birth me again? He's basically referencing Jesus as an idiot from a very intellectual, renowned mind. That's why I love discussing these things with worldview teachers. 602-292-2982. Now see, Jesus really did not expect any of the listeners, not even his disciples, to get this. He was laying a foundational piece in the formula. So I have a question for you. How many of the disciples were Christians? How many of the disciples were indwelt Christians? Okay, so you were incorrect on the first one. The Greek definition of Christian is? Okay. They were very effective followers. Most of the time. But why weren't they indwelt Christians? Born again. That, that would be the practical definition of being born again. Jesus is standing there preaching from the Spirit. The Spirit repeats only the words of the Father. Are you with me? There's this formula going on, a triune formula of communication from God that's working perfectly. And he's making this crazy statement about being born again, which makes no sense to this intellectual. Nor did he expect it, because the spirit is not inside Nicodemus or his disciples. When did that happen, by the way? Oh, there was a lot of pain and suffering for him to go through before that can become reality for Nicodemus. For Peter, for John, for Matthew, etc., etc. And what did we do? A whole bunch of denominations set a denomination in place to take these Formula pieces that he was laying before he even got to the cross to pay for 
the sins of all of these people who don't get it. Before they stuck him in the tomb and he spent three days descending to the lower parts to do whatever it was he was doing for us down there. Because it is lower parts. And then he comes out of that tomb resurrected in a glorified body. And then he spent 40 days chasing down all the ones who left him. How many of those Christ followers were with Jesus on the hill that day? And who was that? The one we're preaching on over the six months. He's rude. John's rude. First John is known as the most abusive book in the New Testament. He's rude. And he's known for what? Being Jesus is what? Beloved. Beloved. What is up with this? I thought Jesus loves us all. Not the kind of love you're used to, spoiled child Christian. And I have been there. I lived there for a very long time. So then he goes to the cross. He fulfills the law, right? Jesus came to fulfill the law. It was his number one mission. Well, I'd, I'd like to give you just a reminder. Our local listeners have heard this a couple times before. But law means God and his character. You see, we have the tendency to look at law as some kind of requirement with a thumb on top of us forcing to obey, correct? That is opposite of what law means. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, which means kill it in the Hebrew. I didn't come to murder the law. I came to fulfill it. Why did he have to fulfill the law for us? The simplest way to remember it is that the law was fulfilled so that we won't have to. See, he made our yoke as light as his. Now, I don't know how, how if you just blow by that verse, I can't blow by it. I told a theological leader yesterday, I said, one of the most Mind-bending passages for me is the simple reality that Jesus Christ said to carry the same level of yoke that he does. This is the Son of God. This is God. This is the one who has the entire universe, forget the earth, the entire universe on his shoulders. And he's saying, take on my yoke. It's light. Which translates to life. I carry around in an average day burdens that are larger than Jesus Christ. Resting in Christ is taking on his yoke, which is light. And that yoke, by the way, is persecution and fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. You say, well, that's heavy. 
He's saying, no, it's not. It's your perspective while you're in them. On whose burden this really is. Well, they didn't get it until he did it. You know, he, he was crucified and the religious leaders, church leaders of the day were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And what does he say to his daddy while he's hanging on the cross and they're spitting on his feet and they're probably throwing stones at him? The guy's already dying. Leave him alone. No, they had to throw more stones at him. And stick vinegar in his mouth to get all those wounds to, to react. You know the story. Horrible. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. They are abiding in death. Dead men don't know life. Light. You will judge people you hear and see unless you understand that statement I just made. To be able to look at someone who is spitting on you, throwing stones at you, mocking you, doing all these things the Bible talks about, the only way to go directly to the Father and say, Father, forgive this guy for what he's saying, for he does not know what he's doing. He just proved hatred. He just proved he's abiding in death. Please lead him to forgiveness. You see, it turns to evangelism, not destructivism. So he did the work on the cross and they stuffed him in the tomb. And I think most of them probably thought that, well, that's it. The show's over. Matthew, did you write all this stuff down? Mark, did you write? Okay, at least we got the story. How is it that those dedicated men as Christ followers ultimately ran from that hill that day? All but one. And you talk about anti-euthanasia? Listen to this, listener. There it is. Every one of the disciples are gone. Fearful of being associated, ashamed of the gospel. Of three and a half years of God laying out the formula. And the formula was just about ready to be given to them as eternal life. And they run. The Pharisees stayed there engaged. But the disciples were ashamed of the gospel and ran. Because they didn't want to be associated with him. Peter Particularly. Denying him three times. How can Peter go from being the worst disciple, so to speak, to the most faithful? Through his own betrayal. Having to embrace the reality that I'm abiding in death unless I follow this formula all the way through. And who was it that asked Jesus right before the ascension? Where is this gift that you promised us? See, as Jesus came out of the water and waited, and the Father poured the Holy Spirit upon him, and then in him, and then the preaching started. They all got it by this point. They were back to following him, right to the hill of ascension. 
And Peter gets it. He had the roughest, I think, of this betrayal syndrome. This wanting to start a new denomination. Well, we believed in Jesus once. Here's what we learned. But that's not what they did. Through betrayal and through this crisis, there was a separation, but quickly they came back together because the Holy Spirit externally began to reveal to them what he said. Of course, when he came out and walked the earth for how many days? That is a Hebrew prophetic number. Forty days. He walked around. He went to every single community he preached in. Every one of them. Took 40 days to do it. To tell the people, I'm not lying. I'm here. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm here. Then doubting Thomas says, well, I don't believe it. Come here, Thomas. Put your hand in my side. You see, because people who are abiding in death are naturalist. They're science. They're knowledge-oriented. If I can't see it, can't touch it, it's not real. And Jesus knew that. That 40 days, he pulled together the followers of Jesus Christ to be introduced to the final solution, the final peace, to be born again. If you are a leader in a church and you have put together in a, a denomination or a non-denominational church based on this transitional formula period, you're going to get snagged and caught by the terms belief, follow, and performance. He was laying the foundation. And after the cross, after the burial, after the ascension, new terminology was given. One of that is new relationship. The relationship with Jesus went from external to internal. Are you with me? How many people got blessed by the Holy Spirit on the famous Pentecost night? Some say 3,000, some say 7,000. Either way you look at it, that's a lot. I'd like to see those kind of numbers on Sunday. But you see, that was when they entered in and became born again. After ascension and the gift being given to the disciples to impart the Holy Spirit to others, another church ideation was formed, and they're called the Pentecostals. So they believe that salvation has two steps to it. So you can be a Christian, and then you have to be receive the second blessing, which is the Holy Spirit. That's because they locked into this phase of Pentecost night, i.e. their name Pentecostals. This is how it works. It's a full meal deal. You're getting a full meal presented to you in the Gospels and then what came in the first generation writers. Paul, John, others. We were given a new position before the the Holy Spirit was made available to us to lead people to Christ. 
we had relationship with him externally, and the position was, we're here and he's here. He's under the tree, we're standing near believing. And we've been following him. That was about to change. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, proved this to us. That after we became born again, we were crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him, ascended with him. And Colossians says, therefore you were seated at the right hand of God. New position. So you have three views. One view is I can look at what's happened to me on earth from an earthly perspective, and that's called depression, anxiety. It's looking this way. And I call it tomb dwelling. You're in the tomb. You're just well with me. Believe me, I'm very familiar with that tomb. I've got carvings all over the walls. Why not me? How come she doesn't love me? He doesn't. I've got all my sayings on the walls of the tomb. And Jesus is going, I'm not in there anymore. Get, get, get out of there. You're killing yourself. Or you can take the second position. And the second position is being out of the tomb, but... You know, you just go hang yourself back on the cross. Guilt, condemnation, I need to die. It's called suicidal ideations. Then there's the third kind, knowing you're actually seated at the right hand of God, if you really believe the Bible. And you're seated right now at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And you're looking down to the earth from your spiritual eyes through Christ, and you see your sufferings you're going through and look at it from an eternal life perspective. This is what John is telling us in all of his writings. He's given us a new possession, which literally translates out as Christ in me. He possessed me. The tree of life. I'm attached I'm abiding in the tree of life. This is a brand new possession. The sap that I'm getting now is sure isn't what I was getting at the other tree. Right? New life, sap. It's coming into my life. And the end result is I get new fruit. Instead of fruit unto death, it's fruit unto life. Someone please tell me why we have grapes But why? Why? Just to hang there and rot and die and drop to the ground and become fertilizer? I go to the, I go to the store and I buy grapes because I want to eat them. You see, ministry is done by eating. The scriptures are full of this. Breaking bread together, the very last supper, the last act he did for his followers was breaking bread and drinking grape juice. Everything is always connected to these two trees. So the grapes are for the purpose of cutting them off and handing them to you and saying, you've got to try these grapes. They are unreal. And then the non-believer, the abiding one in death 
taste these grapes. They're not going to get saved from the grapes. Have you ever seen anyone get saved and transformed from eating grapes? No. But that taste is sharing the gospel, the results of the gospel with someone else, sharing it with them, and they go, this is unreal. Where did you get this truth? Show me the vineyard. You got this. I need some of this. And you lead him to the vineyard. Am I crazy here? Or is the reason for the illustration that Jesus gave us about the vine manager is God, the Father. The vine itself is Jesus Christ. And we are these branches to produce fruit. Not so you can eat them yourself. Have you ever seen a vine eat its own grapes? It's to give it away. Well, you run this backwards in the post-truth era today and people don't know how to share the life of Christ with others. For God's sake, most of them don't even know where the kingdom of the vineyard is. Let alone how to show them the process. Then once they're over there in that, that vineyard and you're standing there talking to them and you're saying... I really hate to bring this up, but I have to bring this up. The only way that you can be attached to this vine is we're going to have to unattach you from abiding in death. So you have to have the clear-headed thinking on how to walk that person through that. It's a cutting, dying, being revived on the the vine. It's a very distinct moment of cutting, brokenness, co-crucifixion to accept resurrection. So then we get a new results and that, that is the fruit. So now that person became born again and they're actually telling people the same process using a very childlike illustration. And this whole thing, to keep it going on a daily basis, is to create a new interdependence. Some of the more profound Bible teachers that I have known and worked with directly and still work with directly are almost like babies now. Two of the leaders that I dialogue with are suffering with remembering verses. They're suffering with remembering names suffering with not remembering terms they've used their entire 70 years in ministry. See what I mean? It is my job to finish their sentences without embarrassing them. Not murdering them and say, if you just take a little more morphine, you'll be okay. Friendly murder is no different than horrific murder to God. So it brings us back to really what tree are you abiding in? That has to be determined. If this absolute truth has collided with your relativism, praise God. Because you are wrong. And you are going to hell. You cannot go past go. 
or collect your 200 bucks. If you are not broken and co-crucified and transferred over to the kingdom of life and light, eternal life in Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it. 602-292-2982. Join us next week as we talk about what really the eternal indwelling life of Jesus Christ looks like and functions like in the abiding life. Until next time. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.